today on Ag News Daily. You know, when it comes to explaining wheat, there's one answer that I usually have, kind of a stock answer, it's just wheat being wheat. Um, I, there's really no good explanation for why wheat was up 40, 50 cents overnight and down 30 to 40 cents at the end of the day. Well, welcome back to another week of Ag News Daily Podcast. This is Tanner Winterhoff, joined by Delaney Howell. How's Delaney doing? I'm good. Tanner, did you have a good weekend? What'd you do? I did. We made a trip out to the Omaha Zoo with my daughters. So we made that trip out Friday night and back Saturday evening after a day of looking at a lot of animals and got to see my first corn tassels of the year. I was Ah. a little surprised, but that road trip had a couple of fields to where the corn started tasseling. What'd you do this weekend? Well, this is my last free weekend before we get married. So I was doing last minute wedding things. Oh, the last single weekend. Yes. Not to be confused with like a bachelorette party. I was literally just doing wedding preparation (laughs) things. Oh, way to tone that one down and suck all the fun out of it. Well, I just wanted to do that for you. Hey, there you go. Well, good. Did you come across anything exciting in the news this weekend? Well, I didn't watch the news a whole lot this weekend, but we did get some really key rainfalls for the first week of July here, even into this morning. And it made it the second wettest first full week of July in 30 plus years, which is quite the opposite trend, Tanner, after we've been seeing the driest weeks in the past 30 years. So certainly a little bit of a turn of events there. However, that moisture wasn't necessarily enough, I'm sure, to change the crop conditions report that we'll see later today. And a lot of moisture still missed some areas down in South Central, you know, Texas area where our girl Cassidy is at. So a lot of areas still needing needing rain, but we did get some reprieve in quite a few different areas. Yeah, that is. That's good news. We got some rain here. We got a lot of wind that came through. Uh, of course, this morning, knocking some trees down, destroying a couple of buildings, but just seems like any more of these days, we don't get gentle summer rains, yeah. at least through the state of Iowa. But we reported last week, Delaney, that on a couple of different uh, price fixing lawsuits that were in place, specifically focused on the beef industry, we then touched on the pork and poultry industries. Well, their verdict came in late on Friday on five chicken industry executives that were sitting on trial for conspiracy and bid rigging from 2012 to 2019. They were acquitted by a jury in Denver federal court. As the report state, the verdict comes after two mistrials were declared when previous juries could not reach a decision, but that decision was announced after more than a day of deliberations. The verdict is considered a stinging defeat the Department of Justice prosecutors who have moved forward with this case despite those failures before. Uh, The acquitted individuals were from Pilgrim's Pride Corp., the uh, chief executive officer, the vice president, then uh, president of Claxton Poultry, and the Claxton Poultry vice president. So each of these Defendants were facing a possibility of 10 years in prison and a million dollars in fines each. But this price fixing case related to the poultry industry, Delaney, they were found not guilty. Well, Tanner, 
I may not have any legislative news, but I do have some market-related news as tomorrow is the July WASD report, which, as I mentioned on the podcast last week, is not usually a huge market mover. Typically, the USDA does not adjust yield in the July report, but nonetheless, we are expecting to see maybe slight adjustments to the uh corn and soybean ending stocks numbers. Uh, so we'll see that drop tomorrow at 11 a.m. Central Time. But trade estimates are putting, like I said, corn, soybeans, and wheat ending stock numbers just slightly lower, which could be a reflection of a lot of different things. Could be weather, it could be uh, some reflections from South American production, or could be we see a an adjustment tomorrow uh, due to the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Yeah, I was trying to get as much information gathered up before this report comes out as possible. Uh, And it looks like everybody's kind of pointed in the same direction. I tell you what was also pointed in the same direction was both beef and pork exports. So the U.S. beef exports topped $1 billion for the fourth month this year while setting new volume and value records, according to the USDA and U.S. Meat Export Federation. Pork exports were still below last year's large totals, but have rebounded in its May shipments to the largest of 2022, both in volume and of value. So this May beef report was up 1% from the previous high posted total in May of 2021. That was in volume. The export value climbed 20%. So a lot more value for those pounds of beef, Delaney. Pork exports are still surging to Mexico and the Dominican Republic. The pork volume was down 21% from a year ago, but that again was the largest month in 2021. But it was the highest month since November for volume. The export value was down 24%, a lot attributed to just the sheer lower figures in volume. So good to see May being a good export month for both beef and pork products. Well, it's not good news for Russian consumers who may have a hankering for McDonald's. Tanner, as we saw many countries follow suit and put sanctions and pull businesses out of Russia, McDonald's did as well. Well, they've now sold to new management at a variety of chains in Russia, and they've also gone through some new management and branding. And as they're starting to reopen here, they've said that they've faced one problem, and that's a shortage of French fries, which is honestly the only reason that I like to go to McDonald's is for their French fries. But the new ownership said that they are facing a severe shortage of a lot of products, but most specifically French fries, and they're blaming a poor harvest in Russia and difficulty importing potatoes due to supply chain disruptions, but also government sanctions. So if we have any Russian listeners, which now are probably going to attract some Russian attention, uh, they said that they will not have potatoes on the menu until autumn of 2022. Yeah, I would say the fries are a big focus of mine. I do like their hash browns and the sausage, egg, and cheese, and the griddle. Mm. Uh, but I think there's a lot of people on your side when you mention the French fries part of this. Yeah, that's really wow. the only thing I like. So, Well, staying outside of the U.S. with decisions waiting on President Biden, he says he's not yet made up his mind whether to lift some of the $370 billion of tariffs imposed on Chinese imports. 
that originally were put on by the Trump administration. Biden has been talking about rolling off these duties back uh, back a couple of weeks and to roll to roll them back for a couple of weeks as a way to curb inflation. While this may not have a large impact on the agricultural world, because tariffs on soybeans were already under some import exclusions, the American Soybean Association is obviously pushing for further movement on the 301 and 232 tariffs, says that will continue to be helpful. But even though that the soybean industry does not seem like this will be much of an effect to them. Now, when you look at other things such as those microchips that we have discussed on this podcast before, that could effectively lower their cost by 25% and raise their availability by an additional 15% if tariffs are raised back on some of those or are rolled back on some of those territories. So more to come out of the White House and the Biden administration as to what they're going to do with these Chinese tariffs. But for now, it doesn't sound like there's any indication as to which direction they will go. I saw that piece of news as well, Tanner. So I am glad that you reported on that this morning. But I think kind of my final piece of news here for today is looking at deforestation in Brazil, because as we know, there is quite a few acres that could potentially have increased production as we see Brazil's Amazon rainforest reached a record high for the first six months of the year here as far as deforestation goes. This is an area five times the state of New York City was destroyed, according to preliminary government data shown on Friday. So from Friday, or excuse me, from June to January, about 1,540 square miles were cleared in the region and are mostly intended to be used for commercial development, farmland, etc. But this destruction was about five and a half percent times higher than it was for the same month last year, Tanner. And, you know, this is an ongoing issue, I would say. There are probably probably people on both sides of this that support it and some that don't. But it's interesting because when I was in Germany a few weeks ago, you know, there was a couple of Brazilian farmers there and they were talking about deforestation as well and suggested that perhaps uh, U.S. media and mainstream media aren't portraying the deforestation in the correct and accurate light. I'm glad that you shared that because I didn't realize that it wasn't accurate uh, as far well, as their depiction. Yeah. And I guess it's uh, a little bit of a controversial issue, right? Because if you're a, it, it'd be like if somebody was pointing fingers at America, we want to um, very quickly defend that. So I haven't done enough research to know for sure, but basically they were alleging that there is deforestation going on, but there's also a lot of rebuilding happening that's not getting publicized. Ah, yes. The details in the articles can go a long ways as far as that's concerned. The last piece that I have is regarding the Farm Bill. So the Republican Study Committee, which is membership is included four of every five Republicans in the House, is working on a new budget package that includes the Farm Bill. So Chuck Abbott of Successful Farming reports on this, that if they were to accept the proposals coming out of this committee, Congress would be dismembering the Farm Bill as we know it. So the package calls for converting food stamps 
into discretionary block grants that the states would share in the cost of this. Um, it would also work to reform the overall budget as put together. So by contrast, farm groups are seeking increases to the 2023 Farm Bill funding, referencing prices that determine levels of crop subsidies and how large the payments would be, as well as subsidies on crop insurance. Uh, but in the opposite effect is what this committee is looking at putting things together, eliminating the price loss coverage and agricultural risk coverage subsidies would save over $42.7 billion over the next 10 years, said the committee. Some $32 billion would be saved by subsidizing crop insurance premiums only for catastrophic losses and requiring farmers to pay 70% of the premium for that coverage, up from the current level of 40% on all crops for this crop insurance. Additional savings of more than $11 billion would come generated by barring new enrollments into the Conservation Reserve and Conservation Stewardship Programs. The dairy program and export promotion programs would also be axed. So uh, very early news. Obviously, this is just at the committee level, Delaney. But uh, if things are to move forward along these lines, the next farm bill will look much, much different. It certainly would. I saw that that news as well. And we still do have some time here to work through this, Tanner. But call your legislator and tell them what is important to you in this farm bill, because we definitely don't want to see some of those key programs getting axed. Although when you look at the farm bill as a whole, Tanner, like 70% of the funding is actually going towards WIC, SNAP, supplemental uh, nutrition programs, etc. And only about 25% actually goes to what you would consider farm related programs. Absolutely. But I agree. This is the time to make some phone calls. And I say it's about time for us to make a phone call to get a market wrap-up for the week. So how are things looking before we jump into that conversation? Well, Tanner, you know, markets this morning are looking fairly, or this afternoon, wow, this afternoon are looking fairly positive. We've seen quite a bit of strength here in the overnight heading into the opening, and we were able to carry through that price action through this afternoon. We're going to get Darren Newsom's take on that here in just a moment, but potentially sitting in some oversold positions for the grain markets. July corn closed three cents higher at 7.81. Dece corn up five cents today to close at 6.28. We were trading closer to eight dollars in the overnight for old crop corn. Didn't quite hold on to that strength today, but nonetheless, we did add uh, some positive movement. Soybeans are back above fourteen dollars in the old in the new crop contract. Added eight cents in Nov beans today to close at 14.04. Chicago wheat down significantly today, July down 35 and a half cents at 843 and Dece down 34 and a quarter to close at 872 and a quarter. As you hop over and take a look at livestock today, we saw strength in the cattle complex as August added 220 to close at a buck 36.15. The October up a dollar 47 and a half to close at 140.42. And in feeder cattle today, that strength continued with the August contract adding $3.15 at 174.87. The September up to 67 to close at 177.40. And in lean hogs today, seeing mostly weakness as you look out here past the July contract, August shedding 80 cents at 108.37. The October down $1.55 to close at 92.45. Tanner, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Darren Newsom. (music) 
Well, folks, as promised, we are chatting today with Darren Newsom of Darren Newsom Analysis. Darren, how are you doing today? I am doing well, Delaney. We're into uh, we're into summer, deep getting deeper into summer, and that means just everything's always fun. Yeah, it certainly is. Fun is maybe not a word that some people would use to describe <laughs> the markets right now. Uh, because it seems like they cannot find their footing. What's the underlying technical and fundamentals driving these grain markets right now? Okay. Fundamentally, everything's bullish. Well, at least corn and soybeans are bullish. Wheat, mixed bag. But, but corn and soybeans are, bull, are, are bullish both short-term and long-term. We don't have supplies. We know that. The world doesn't have supplies. We know that as well. And demand remains strong, both domestically and globally. The issue is we also don't have investor buying interest at this point. Over the last number of months, uh, funds have been getting out of corn, soybeans, wheat, so on, almost every commodity you can think of, despite bullish fundamentals, because of all of the actions taken by central banks around the world, uh, raising interest rates as a fight against inflation. So this is driving some of the investment out of commodities. It's turned the technical picture bearish. Again, this is kind of a seasonal move as well, but it's turned the technical picture bearish. But it hasn't changed the fundamentals. And, you know, we, we can make the argument, and I've made the argument, that raising interest rates doesn't change the demand for some of the key commodities. I mean, you're still going to have people wanting to eat. And we have seen here in the United States, everybody's still wanting to drive. So you really haven't slowed demand yet with, with interest rates going up, at least for these commodities. So it doesn't change the long-term fundamental picture. Technicals are, in, are you know, getting into an over, oversold territory. So I think in time, we're going to see that money start to work back in. It's going to, you know, it's going to start to flow back into markets that have long-term bullish fundamentals, and then that's going to start to go back up. Now, as we mentioned, we're in summer, and that means, you know, with these weather derivatives, everyone's going to be watching weather forecasts. And these things come out almost every hour on the hour during the course of the summer. Somebody's posting some sort of update. But the general idea is, you know, you have your morning and your afternoon updates, model runs, and so on. Uh, funds also have their private research, which is constantly feeding them the latest weather data. So, you know, we're, we're basically caught into a weather market now, and markets are going to swing back and forth on uh, on the latest updates, obviously on the latest forecasts. How much of an impact are we seeing coming out of Brazil as a potential bullish or bearish influx into the market now as they're nearing halfway mark on getting their crop, their second crop corn harvested? Yeah, you know, there there has been some pressure in the corn market uh, from this. We've seen this play out in the uh, in the deferred future spreads. If we look at, you know, if we look at the U.S. basis, where you know everyone's saying, okay, you know, the 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 South American Brazil second crop should be putting pressure immediately on the U.S. market. The U.S. basis market is just skyrocketing right now. Uh, we are incredibly strong versus the September contract. We can take it out versus the D's. We can look at however far out we want to look. And basis is incredibly strong. So there's still good demand. Now, most of this is domestic demand. Most of this is still feed. Most of this is still ethanol demand. The question has been exports. 
And so if all of a sudden we start to see our exports slowing down at a time of year when they normally are picking up pace here uh, as we head towards the end of the marketing year, then, you know, we can make the assumption, okay, some of this is being offset by what has been, you know, pretty decent second crop of, uh, of, Brazilian, of Brazilian corn. So it is playing a role. We're just not really seeing it crack down on the fundamentals of the market yet. Certainly, it's probably added some of the non-commercial selling into the, into the September futures, but it really hasn't done anything to change the short-term fundamental view. Now, Darren, I want to ask, because we saw a pretty ugly week last week in commodities, and we're starting to hear rumors or, or maybe potential analysts were suggesting that things were oversold. Would you agree with that, or where are we at from that perspective? Yeah, you know, from a technical point of view, things were oversold. But we have to remember the old adage, markets can stay over, overbought or oversold longer than most of us can stay solvent. So it's just a reading that we have to add in with everything else. Uh, you know, one, I, I do look, you know, at, at one indicator of being, you know, a momentum being overbought or oversold, and I kind of use that to track things. It's not the end-all, be-all when it comes to uh, telling me that a trend is about to change, but it's an indicator. And then we have to wait for an actual pattern to develop. And that's somewhat what we saw last week, particularly on uh, initially on uh, day charts. And we also saw it on weekly charts. We saw these reversal patterns. Now, this usually confirms the idea that the mood of the market is changing. And they usually act to confirm, you know, those those overbought, oversold signals uh, that we've been getting along the way. So, you know, we, we have to keep in mind what overbought, oversold really is. They're just indicators uh, that tell us that a trend change could start to happen at some point. But, you know, particularly when markets are this volatile, they can stay overbought or oversold for a long period of time. So let's talk a little bit about what we think is going to come out of Ukraine now as their wheat is about ready to be harvested. Do you have any any inside knowledge on how Russia plans to handle the Ukrainian crops getting harvested? Yeah, I think we saw evidence of that this past weekend. Um, not just social media, and, and I, you know, you have to always take that with a grain of salt. But I did see from some fairly reliable sources on social media and in the news as well. Russian troops were setting fire uh, to uh, Ukrainian wheat crops. So I think that's how they're going to handle it, and what does make it. Uh, to terminal or, or port or, you know, interior location, probably going to be stolen uh, before it can be shipped out. Uh, that seems to have been the pattern set. Uh, Russia has been kind of robbing the grain that does make it to port or was in, you know, some sort of terminal facility. And so now anything that does get harvested, any of the wheat that does get harvested, it's questioned, you know, how well it's, how easily it's going to be able to move into the, into a global system that desperately needs it. I mean, uh, and, and that's the real interesting thing. That's that's what was really interesting about watching the Chicago wheat market uh, here on Monday uh, was, you know, we had this all weekend long. We saw the big 40, 50 cent move uh, the minute the, you know, the, the overnight session opened, but it couldn't hold it. It's kind of typical for wheat, but it was a little surprising this time uh, based on everything that we'd seen, heard, watched and, and read over the weekend. So, Darren, I think that's a good segue here into talking about wheat futures today, which were not following corn and soybeans today. What was going on today specifically? You know, when it comes to explaining wheat, 
there's one answer that I usually have. It's kind of a stock answer. It's just wheat being wheat. Um, I, there's really no good explanation for why wheat was up 40, 50 cents overnight and down 30 to 40 cents at the end of the day. We've been seeing a pattern, particularly in the Chicago market, of big overnight rallies. Uh, and, and what it all had the, the look and the characteristics of some, glo- some of that global buying that has to be done you know, to feed you know, the population uh, possibly coming to Chicago or at least the Chicago futures market to get some locked in. But then you know, that all happens overnight. And once the day session gets going, all of it's gone. There's no interest anymore. And pretty soon the market just falls flat. There, it very possibly could have been some of that again today. Now, the problem with that theory is we have not seen any increased demand for U.S. supplies. This looks like it's more of a hedge move, uh, possible global uh, trading hedge move in the Chicago market versus an actual physical commodity. Uh, And that's what makes the Chicago market that much more interesting, that much more difficult today. You know, again, it just it blew up. Now, if we want to play the old U.S. dollar card, uh, the dollar early on uh, had skyrocketed. And it was still up over a full point. It had crossed. It had actually gotten over 108. And there's this historic belief, this is historic uh, connection of inverse moves uh, between the dollar strength and, and weakness in the wheat. Because theoretically, you know, the stronger the dollar gets, the more expensive U.S. wheat bushels or any, you know, any U.S. commodity are. But again, we have to we have to kind of temper that a bit this time around. I mean, if the world just needs wheat and it's not coming from Ukraine and it's being sanctioned, uh, Russia's wheat's being sanctioned, you would think it would be coming from the United States, regardless of what the, the dollar is doing. But at this point, again, today, it looks like it was a key player in, in knocking the wheat down a bit. Yeah, my next question was going to be about the U.S. dollar. So I'll move on to the last one that I have. Just looking for a little insight on the meats side of things. What are you seeing on those side of the table? Yeah, meat was interesting today. You know, it started off under pressure. Uh, and then we saw, well, actually, you know, we had lean hogs stronger and we had both cattle markets lower. And then as the day wore on, everything flip-flopped. Now, you know, everyone always likes to make the connection, oh, feeder cattle rallied because because corn was lower. Well, corn wasn't lower, but it was, you know, 30, 40 cents off of its high. So those voices are going to be loud again today. Fundamentally, nothing's changed. Uh, we still we still have bearish fundamentals in the cattle market. If we look at the future spreads, cash market's been quiet for a long time. Uh, we're starting to see, you know, the box beef market's been coming down as well. There was some commercial buying in there. Can't deny that. We had August up 220, uh, August fats up 220, and the October up a buck 47. So that's a good sign. Could be some short-term demand on the cash side as we head into this week. Possibly packers looking for more cattle. We're getting towards the end of grilling season, but it still looks like you know, here on a Monday afternoon, it looks like they were doing some business. Similarly, we look out to the uh, the feeder cattle market. August up three dollars fifteen cents. We've got uh, September up two sixty seven. Then we can go out even further to the two twelve for the October and so on. Again, in, good indication that commercial traders were stepping back in. They didn't come. They didn't jump into this market right off the bat. They waited until about mid morning, right around midday, 
And then they started jumping back into the feeder cattle market. And it was interesting to see. Uh, we, we didn't see a lot of movement over in the stock market, stock indexes. So this looked to be just on short-term fundamentals alone in both, in both cattle markets. And that helped push the market to a higher close. Here and lastly, as we round out the livestock markets here, uh, August lean hogs are trading at quite a premium when you look out here compared to October and further. Just summer grilling demand or something else driving that? You know, it, it's one of those things where we have to, you know, it, it's impressive. It really is. But what we have to do is we have to compare what is it usually. So, you know, at the end of last week, we had August, October, we had the August, October spread at about $15, almost $15.20. And everyone's going, oh, wow. I mean, that's, that's, that's huge. But the previous five years, if we look at the weekly closes, the previous high was $16.87.5. And the average close is $16.15. So we're basically just in that neutral ground. So what it means is this is just a time of year when we have fewer hogs and we still have good demand. That changes, and that's why we have to understand these spreads and how each one of these spreads, particularly in the livestock uh, sector, each one of these spreads is different. We have to check, we have to, we have to know the history, we have to st- understand the history of what it's trying to tell us. Yes, it's an impressive number, you know, $13, 14 $15 above the, above the October contract, but that's just normal. That's, that's where we usually are this time of year. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us today and sharing your insight if our listeners want to get some more of your information commentary or look you up what's the best way for them to find you best way to find me is to go to darrennewsome.com uh, up there on the menu you can click on uh, services and, and sign up for a seven-day free trial and there you can see all of our analysis commentary all the all the stuff that i talk about and then predominantly and you know, also the stuff that i don't talk about like you know tomorrow's nonsense so uh, I don't talk about that. So, but they can sign up that way. They can they can take a look that way and see what they like, see what they don't like. Great. Well, thank you again for joining us today. I really appreciate you guys having me on again. Well, there you go, Delaney. Another Market Monday under our belt. I continue to learn right along where we sit in my knowledge, on the crop markets. But interesting to see, again, how another report will affect it this week. It certainly is. We could see a market mover tomorrow, folks. So uh, be sure to stay tuned with us, and we'll fill you in on what happens during tomorrow's WASD report. But Tanner, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let the people go. (laughs) 